Good morning. This morning, I'd like to look at a paradox in the Christian faith. We just sang about the land that is fairer than day, that we're going to go one day. Why are we going to go there? Do we deserve it? At least Sam's shaking his head, so Sam doesn't deserve it. The paradox is that we're undeserving, and yet that's why God loves us. The world thinks that we get to God by doing good things, that we earn our way to God. That, that's what 95% of the world, if you were to ask somebody, that's what they would say. That doing this, doing that, you know, I help the old lady across the street. Maybe I, I help my first grader tie his shoe. Maybe I, uh, someone told a bad joke and I told them that that was the wrong thing. And that's the way that um, I'm going to get to God. That's the way I'm going to earn God's favor. Makes sense. But the truth is that that takes us farther from God. He only accepts us when we acknowledge how unworthy we are to be accepted. We're only acceptable when we acknowledge that we're unacceptable. And when we appeal to who he is, to his mercy. James 4, 6 says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. It's, it's not a matter of that it's harder to get to God when you're proud. God resists the proud. It pushes us farther away from God when we try to show how good we are. When I try to show God how good I am, it pushes me farther away from God. But he gives grace to the humble. That's when he's interested in us. Only then. This morning, I want to take a look at someone who exemplified that. Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 7. This person was very conscious of the fact that he was undeserving. He didn't try to show God how good he was. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now, when Jesus concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue then jesus went with them and when he was already not far from the house the centurion sent friends to him saying to him lord do not trouble yourself for i am not worthy that you should enter under my roof 
Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well, who had been sick. So, centurion's servant is sick. He loves him very much. And he wants the Lord Jesus to heal him. He sends some elders of the Jews to the Lord. And they say, Lord, this guy is deserving. Would you please heal his servant? And the Lord comes. But then the centurion sends some messengers to Jesus saying, wait a minute, Lord, I'm not even worthy. It's a very interesting way to approach the Lord. Lord, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve this. He could have come many different ways. Um, You think first he's a centurion. He's a Roman soldier and he's not any Roman soldier. He's a Roman officer. Uh, He has a little under 100 men under him. 100 Roman soldiers under under his command. He's an important guy. Um, He helps to keep the peace in the area. So on the basis of that, well, Jesus should help him. I mean, it would be a good acknowledgement for Jesus to, to, to show respect to the centurion's position as an authority figure, don't you think? To heal his servant. It'd say, yeah, you know, you're doing a good job. I'll heal your servant for you. Jesus should help him. Maybe he could come that way. He could have come to Jesus as a kind man and shown that he deserved Jesus' help. Well, he's been good to the Jews. Um, They said he loves our nation. I mean, when was the last time that you heard of a conqueror loving the people that he conquers? I mean, this guy's a symbol of the Roman authority. The Romans conquered the Jews, and yet the Jews say that he loves our nation. They acknowledge that he loves them, and he has their respect. Wow, I mean, this is a good guy here. Well, Jesus should help him. I mean, even the Jews said, the Jews say what? They say, Lord, the guy that you should do this for, he's deserving. He deserves, you to be, he deserves you to be kind to him. He deserves you to heal his servant. It's interesting that even they think that that's the way that you should approach God. That's, that's the basis of their appeal to the Lord. They say, Lord, we want you to come because he deserves it. He could have come as a benefactor of the Jews, one who's done great things for them. He built them a synagogue. This is a very unusual guy here. I mean, I don't know if you're getting the picture or no. Romans don't do this. He built the Jews a synagogue. Uh, Apparently, Capernaum's a poor fishing village, and so they couldn't afford one. Maybe he built it for them. How much cost and effort was involved? I mean, I can imagine the guy, you know, he puts up the money, he arranges getting the people there to build it. Wow, what a good guy. Well, Jesus should help him. Jesus should do this for him to give him something back in return for what he did. 
I mean, this guy's really done some good stuff for the community. He earned it. Now think about the James passage. God resists the proud. Would it have done any good to come to the Lord that way? No, no, absolutely not. God resists the proud. It would have done a lot of harm. It not only wouldn't have done any good, it would have hurt his cause. How presumptuous. This man is a sinner. If he were to come to God like that, how presumptuous would that be? It's interesting that when he appeals to the Lord through his friends, he doesn't even think, uh, he doesn't even hint that he thinks himself deserving. Although you could see from a worldly point of view how he might hint that he thinks himself deserving. Twice he says that he's unworthy. He says, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. So that's why I think you should help me. He turns right around and asks for help after saying how unworthy he is. From a worldly perspective, what good does it do to show how unworthy he is? Won't Jesus be less likely to help him? Wouldn't you think so? I mean, if I don't deserve you to help me, so that's why I'd like you to help me. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't make sense. If one of my kids at school came to me on that basis, Mr. Bellis, I haven't been practicing for the concert. You know, all this time, you know, when, when you've been teaching, you know, I've been kind of staring off into space. You know, I, 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 haven't, I haven't been respectful of you in music class, and, and I'm not ready for the concert now. Could you help me please prepare? I'm not going to help that guy. Why should I? You don't deserve it. But that's how the centurion is approaching the Lord, by saying twice that he's unworthy. What kind of a precedent does the centurion have to follow? Think back about Moses. You remember, he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. The Lord delivers them in a miraculous way. He sends plagues to the Egyptians, and the Israelites are, you know, they're, they're out. They cross the Red Sea. The Red Sea closes over the Egyptians, and the Israelites are going on because of what God's done for them, and it's great. He takes them to Mount Sinai. God reveals his law to them. Israelites say, all that the Lord has said, we're going to do it. Moses goes up on the mountain. He's up there for a while, and the Israelites say, you know what? Forget that Moses. He's been gone for a while. You know, I don't even know what's happened to him. Let's build a golden calf and let's worship that. How wrong is that for them to do that? After all that the Lord has shown them, all the miracles that he's done. The Lord says to Moses, see what they did? Move out of my way. I'm going to consume them. Do they deserve that? What do you think? Do, do they, would they deserve it if God consumed them? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They've, done, they've absolutely offended God in an incredible way. But Moses pleads with God to spare them. 
Now, on what footing does he do it? What basis does he bring? Are, they, are these guys deserving of forgiveness? Are they, do they deserve God to spare them? What do you think? No, absolutely not. Why should God do it? What, what reason can Moses bring before the Lord that he should spare these people who have just smacked God in the face, as it were? Why should God forgive them for that? Moses prays, Lord, turn from your fierce wrath and relent of this harm from this harm to your people. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. Does he try to mitigate the wrong that the Israelites have done at all? What's interesting, does he even mention it? He says, turn from your fierce wrath, relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, whom you swore that you'd multiply their descendants. I don't even hear the Israelites mentioned there. They don't enter the equation. They're just unworthy. That's all that that we need to worry about. And we all know that. That, That's a foregone conclusion. Let's not talk about that anymore. God and his character is the basis of this appeal. He swore, God swore, that he would bring them to the land of Canaan. And when God swears something, he's going to do it. And Moses knows that God is faithful. If God swore, then he's going to do it. So he appeals to the Lord on that basis. Remember the word that you said, you swore by your own self, Lord. I'm appealing to you because you swore and that's why you should do it. Did the children of Israel enter into the equation? The fact that they're worthy of the fact that they've done something deserving of it? Absolutely not. And what's the result? So the Lord relented from the harm which he said that he would do to his people. Why did the Lord spare them? Because they were worthy suddenly? Yeah, yeah, in a way, absolutely. They were incredibly unworthy. (laughs) And that's how they became worthy because they didn't deserve it. Moses simply acknowledged this and he appealed to God to forgive them on the basis of who he is. He's faithful. He's merciful. The Lord says in Isaiah, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. With him who has a contrite and humble spirit. There's the paradox we talked about. The Lord is high. He's lofty. He inhabits eternity. His name is holy. He dwells in a high and holy place. And yet he dwells with the contrite and humble. And we need to remember... I don't know, sometimes I kind of think of the contrite and humble person as a really good person, you know, a really holy person. If you're contrite and humble, you have a reason to be. If you're contrite, it's because you've done something wrong. And if the Lord dwells with you because you're contrite and humble, you have done something wrong. But he gives grace to the humble. When you're truly unworthy, that's when you're acceptable. How about another example that the centurion has to go off? Daniel. Well, the Israelites have continued to offend God. 
Uh, it didn't stop at Mount Sinai when the Lord had mercy on them. Uh, they went on for hundreds of years uh, resisting God, uh, ignoring him, going after idols. And they continued in sin for so long that the Lord finally allowed them to be taken captive. He was merciful to them for an incredible amount of time. He kept sending his prophets. They'd ignore them. And finally the Lord said, okay. And the Israelites were taken away captive. So Daniel prays for them after they've been in captivity. So how would you start an appeal to the Lord? How would you start an appeal to bring them back? What reasons? Well, here's how he starts his prayer. Lord, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We've done wickedly and rebelled. Even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. It only gets worse for the next 10 verses. Is that the way to start a prayer like this? Absolutely. Absolutely it's the way. The Lord dwells with him who is who has a humble and contrite heart. Well, Daniel's definitely humble here. Yeah, we've done wrong. And I'm not trying to hide the wrong that I've done. But then he says, Now therefore, O God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Not because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. What better basis could you form an appeal on? What better basis than the Lord's great mercies? This is the most solid footing that there is. This is the character of God. You're basing your appeal on the surest thing that there is. If I try and base God's favor on something that I've done, I am sure to fail. But as soon as I take it off myself and say, Lord, I don't deserve it. The only reason that I'm expecting you to be, uh, look on me with favor is because of who you are. You're merciful. I'm a sinner. All of a sudden, I'm irresistible to God. I've been getting teased at home because I like fuzzy animals. I put a fuzzy animal up recently on the uh, wallpaper. It didn't last for very long. A little uh, bunny rabbit with a cat. I don't know. I find them irresistible. Well, when I base God's favor upon who he is, and I'm just a contrite sinner, I'm irresistible to God. Lord can't resist that. Centurion is obviously very, very aware of that. We asked, from a worldly perspective, what good does it do the centurion to acknowledge his unworthiness? Won't Jesus be less likely to help him? What do you think? From the examples that we've seen, now that the centurion says, Lord, I'm unworthy. Please help me. Is the Lord less likely to help him now? What do you think? No? Okay. Absolutely not. 
he, because the Lord, the centurion is appealing to the Lord's mercy and nothing in himself. And the Lord will help the centurion. If he were appealing to something in himself, the Lord might help him. Once he's appealing to something in the Lord, the Lord will help him. He's appealed to the Lord's mercy, who he is. It's interesting, Jesus recently preached a sermon, recently to uh, the time in the passage, that I wonder if the centurion heard. The Lord said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Is the centurion poor in spirit? Absolutely. He's just acknowledged that he's spiritually bankrupt. Think about what he said. He said, Lord, I am not worthy to breathe the same air as you. How many people have come to the Lord? Think about uh, Jairus who came for his daughter. He came to the Lord. Lord, you've got to help me. Think about the woman who touched his garment. I am not criticizing them at all. They showed incredible faith. But they came to the Lord. Absolutely. Um, all the people that he healed, they brought the man, uh, they, they lowered the man who was paralyzed so that the Lord could touch him. The centurion is so conscious of who he is that he says, Lord, I am not even worthy to come to you. I'm not even worthy to be in the same space as you, Lord. I, I, I need to stay over here while you're over there. You couldn't get any humbler than that. He sounds like the tax collector when he was praying in the temple. You remember the story. There's two guys praying in the temple that the Lord Jesus talks about. First, the Lord talks about the Pharisee who's praying in the temple. Now, remember, these two men praying in the temple, they're both sinners. They're both human. They're both sinners. Now, the Pharisee prays, It's almost like God puts a little joke in there. And I say this reverently, but the Lord, it's like he's saying, he says, the Pharisee stood thus and prayed with himself. It's like he's saying, yeah, the Pharisee's praying, but I'm not listening. The Pharisee's talking, but it's just kind of going in circles. It's not going anywhere. And the Pharisee says, okay, Lord, boy, I am so glad that I am not like other men. I mean, you've got, You've got the unjust people. You've got people who are extortioners. I mean, you've got adulterers. I'm not like them. I mean, you've got this tax collector over here. Man, I'm glad I'm not like him. Whew. Lord, I fast twice a week. You know, you know how much that is? I mean, think about it. I go without food two times a week. That's pretty good, huh? Lord, I give tithes of everything that I own. I mean... Not, not just the money. I mean, I tithe my spices. I tithe, you know, my, my animals that I have. I tithe everything. Lord, let's be honest, Lord. That's why you should accept me. And, you know, between you and me, aren't you kind of proud of me? Aren't you kind of glad you got someone like me? I mean, <laughs> that's who I am. But the Lord says that he prayed thus with himself. God wasn't even listening. And then you have the tax collector standing over in the corner. 
tax collector who wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven. He reminds me of, he reminds me of the centurion who wouldn't even go into the same place, who wouldn't even be in the same place as the Lord. Tax collector wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven. He said, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. Lord, I don't have anything to bring you like this Pharisee does. Lord, all I see is you and me. You're God, and I'm the sinner. The Lord says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. That man was only concerned with himself. He wasn't saying, Lord, be merciful to both of us sinners. I mean, he's a sinner and I'm a sinner. I don't know what he's doing over here. I'm a sinner too, Lord, but he's definitely a sinner. He didn't even talk about that. He said, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. I'm the only one I'm concerned about here. The centurion's like that too in the passage. If you think about it, the centurion says, Lord, I'm not worthy to come to you, so I'm going to send my friends. Are they any more worthy to go to the Lord? Absolutely not. I mean, I think the centurion's probably more worthy because of how who he realizes he is. Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm going to send these guys to you because I can't come to you. He's not, he doesn't even realize that, Lord, these guys are sinners also. He's just so conscious of his own sin that that's all that he cares about. Lord, I am not going to come to you. That's the only thing that I know. These guys can go to you. Fine, they'll go. I'm not going. So that's who he says he is. Who does he think the Lord is then? Remember, that's the other half of the equation. I'm the sinner, but who's the Lord? But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a, man, am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. Think about what this guy's saying here. Okay, Lord, I know what it's like. I'm in a chain of command. I got people over me who tell me what to do, and I got people under me. I tell them what to do. You're the same. But in a much incredibly higher sense. You can command. You just have to say the word. And my servant is going to be healed. What kind of authority is he attributing to the Lord Jesus? What he sees is just an ordinary man. The Lord does not look any different. He does not look like those medieval paintings with a little halo over his head kind of shining. Uh -uh. That's not what the Lord looks like. The Lord looks just like anybody else. He does not, the centurion sees nothing unusual about him, but he has faith in the Lord. He knows who this is. And he says, and even though he does not see the authority that the Lord has, there's nothing visible. He knows the authority.
Lord, even though I exercise authority over my soldiers and command them, I command them, I'm not commanding you. I mean, this is a Jew, let's be honest. He's a centurion. I'm sure he's commanded Jews plenty of times before. Like I said, he's their conqueror. He doesn't even talk about that. Lord, I command my servants. I'm not about to command you. Lord, I'm just asking you to use that authority that you have to please heal my servant. I have no basis for you to help me. So please help me. What was the Lord's reaction when Moses came to him like that? What was the Lord's reaction when the tax collector came to him like that? Well, it's the same reaction here to the the, uh, centurion. Of course, before he gets his uh, wish... The, uh, the Lord marvels. It's the only other time the scripture records the Lord marveling. It's because of unbelief. Here the Lord is astonished. It, 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 that's another, he's, it's like, whoa. <laughs> oh man. He's marveling. Have you ever found something? It's like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. I, whatever it is you're looking for, you're like, oh man, that's it. I can't believe I just found it. That's what the Lord is saying here. Wow. I've been looking all this time. No one has ever approached me like that before. You think back in all the Gospels, nobody comes to the Lord like that. Nobody ever says, Lord, I am totally unworthy for you to help. Yes, they ask for the Lord's help, but they don't ever come in a way saying, Lord, I don't deserve for you to help me, but please help me. This is it. That's exactly what I'm looking for. That's why the Lord marvels. If you want to see what real faith is, you don't need to look any further. Just look at what this guy did right here. That's exactly what real faith is. So the centurion gets two things. How would you like to get commended by the Lord? How would you like for the Lord Jesus to take time out of his day to point out, to turn around to everybody and say, look at this, look what this guy just did. A commendation from God himself. What is the centurion? Now think about it. What did the centurion do? He, all he said was, Lord, I am unworthy. The centurion didn't do some great work for the Lord to, yeah, good job, good job. I'm really proud of you. All the centurion did was say, Lord, I don't deserve to come. And in fact, I'm not even worthy to be near you. Lord, I know who you are and I'm just asking you to do what you can do for me. And the Lord marveled. Kind of disappointing that the Lord did marvel. I wish he'd seen it more. I wish he would see it more. But he receives a commendation from the Lord. And then what, is he, what else does he receive? He receives his request. It says, those who returned to the house found the servant well, who had been sick. So he approached the Lord. Not on the basis of what he'd done, although he could have. He could have tried. From a human point of view, absolutely he could have. He came to the Lord and said, Lord, I have nothing. I am spiritually bankrupt. There's no reason for me to come to you. However, Lord, I know who you are. I know what you can do. And Lord, please have mercy on me. Just like Moses and Daniel, just like the tax collector, he approached God on the basis of who the Lord is. And God gave grace to the humble. 
Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you that we do not have to be righteous to be acceptable to you. Lord, if you were, who could stand before you? Lord, if I had to do anything to come to you, Lord, I would be lost. Lord, you say that even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Each one of us, Lord, is totally bankrupt when it comes to showing you good works. Lord, thank you, though, that you dwell, Lord, with him who has a humble and contrite spirit. Lord, all that I have to be is unworthy. Lord, since every one of us is unworthy, thank you, Lord, that anyone can come to you. Lord, I want to pray that you would bring this home to us, Lord, in a new way. That we would, Lord, daily realize, Lord, how much we depend upon you. Lord, how much you are our everything. Lord, I am nothing. To quote, Lord, a hymn writer, Lord, he said, Lord, I only become aware of two things. I am a great sinner. And Christ is a great Savior. Lord Jesus, we each want to say that this morning. There's nothing in us and everything in you. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your love for us in this way. Lord Jesus, we want to worship you this morning. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.